those at home, we'll continue to uh, emphasize joy as we look at God's word. Before we do, we'll dedicate this time to the Lord as well. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for this reminders of this Christmas story this time of year. We pray that as we read it again today, you might fill us with joy as we imagine the birth of your Savior some 2,000 years ago. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the theme is joy, specifically as we look to God's word this morning, what I want us to answer the question is how to have joy. How can we have joy? How to have joy. So I am working on a sermon that is how to have joy, and I did what any good preacher would do in preparation. I thought to myself, I wonder what Oprah thinks. (laughs) No, yeah, that was a joke. Um, But seriously, I Googled how to have joy. And uh, I came across a website called Oprah Says, OprahSays.com. There's an article written by Melissa Goldberg on how to have joy, and it's actually wonderful. It says, uh, here's how to have joy. She gives us a list. I'm going to share some of them with you. Connect with others, which is what you've done this morning. You have come out, and you have come to connect with others, and that's a way to have joy. Great idea. Make a joy list, a gratitude journal. Great idea. If you want to have more joy in your life, start writing down the things you have to be joyful for. She says, if you want to have joy, then you should give. And she quotes uh, the words of Jesus without giving him any credit, but it's better to give than to receive. If you want to have joy in your life, then give. She says, if you want to have joy in your life, be kinder. Then she gets a few more specifics, something you could actually, you know, do. So she says, uh, you could paint your house uh, in, in more colors. Add color to your home, she says. Exercise. She says, savor the joyful moments. They're big and small because it actually makes them last longer. She says, get house plants and go outside. So those are all really good ideas for how you can add a little bit more joy to your life. Uh, I was looking over the list and I couldn't help but think of my wife. So we celebrated our 17-year wedding anniversary yesterday. And if you know, thank you, yeah. If you know Caroline, then you know that she is often described as a joyful person. So I'm reading down this list, and I'm like, well, this is, yeah, this is why she's just joyful. She has a lot of houseplants, way too many houseplants. And if you've been in our home, it is very colorful. Uh, She paints the walls all different colors. She is kind. She is generous. And I'm like, that's why you're joyful. You're checking all these boxes. But as we talk about her or the rest of us this morning, there is a, a deeper and abiding joy that can come from knowing Jesus. Now, these things that we described are gifts from God. So let's give him credit for everything that's on that list. Because God created us in his image. He wired us and put us together in such a way that Christian or non-Christian alike, when they connect with other people, it brings them joy. When they give, it brings them joy. When they go out for a walk in nature and they see God's created world, it brings them joy. That is God's good gifts, his common grace that are for all people. And those shepherds, what they heard from the angels that night on the hillsides of Bethlehem was that that Jesus is good news for all people. And so we want all people not just to enjoy the beautiful snow this morning, but we want all people to have the great news, uh, the good news of great joy that Jesus, the Savior, is born. He has been born to take away our sins. 
So as we look at the characters in the Christmas story, I want us to focus on two and answer the question, how did they have joy? So the two characters for this morning are Mary and the wise men. How did Mary and the wise men have joy? So that's what we're going to look at together. Before you dive into the uh, sermon on joy, any good preacher or presenter is going to do this. They're going to differentiate for you joy and happiness. Because in our English language, we think of them as just synonymous, but it's helpful for us to sort of separate them into two different words. If we had a Venn diagram, those overlapping circles, there's a lot of things they have in common, but there are two distinct words. So I found this online this week as well. I thought it was helpful the way they explain it. So they say, joy is in the heart. Happiness is on the face. Joy is on the soul. Happiness is of the moment. Joy transcends while happiness reacts. Joy runs deep and overflows while happiness hugs hello. Joy is a practice and a behavior. It is deliberate and intentional. Happiness comes and goes blithely along its way. Joy is an inner feeling while happiness is an outward expression. So when we explain it that way, you begin to see a bit of a difference, right? The word happiness, you know, you can hear in the word the sort of happens, what's happening. So your happiness comes from your happenstance, right? So your circumstances can make you smile, and that's great. Happiness is wonderful. But we're differentiating that there's, there's a difference here between joy and happiness. And joy, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. There's a sort of deep and abiding sense of joy in your spirit, deep within you. And what you heard in the video, if you were here at the start of the service, and thebibleproject.com has all of those videos on it, biblical joy is more than a happy feeling. It's a lasting emotion that comes from the choice to trust that God will fulfill his promises. So the key idea there as we look at joy on the pages of scripture is that it is a choice to trust that God will fulfill his promises. And so as we look for joy in the story, specifically with Mary, how did Mary have joy? And so what we're going to look at is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. We have it on the screens for you, but if you want to find it in your Bible, you're welcome to. And Luke chapter 1 is the story of the angel coming to Mary to announce the birth of Jesus. And this is what it says in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting that might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child will be born, and will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now one could read that story and think to themselves, well, it's obvious that Mary would have joy because she is so highly favored of God. 
To be that favorite of God, to be chosen amongst all the people in the world, to be the one who brings the Savior into the world, that should fill Mary with joy. Certainly an argument could be made to that end. However, the other side of that coin is to be told that you are going to give birth to the Savior of the world could also fill one with fear and anxiety and confusion. And as you look to the text, I think you can see some of those things explicitly there. I mean, the angel says to her, do not be afraid. So I think it's very natural for any time you see an angel, it seems to provoke fear. And so the angel says, okay, Mary, don't be afraid. I think she also needs to hear, don't be afraid, when she begins to process the fact that, hold on a second here, I live in a time and in a culture in which this betrothal, this engagement period that Joseph and I are in, I don't have the freedom to just break it. Right? She's a woman living 2,000 years ago in the Middle East. She doesn't have the freedom to just say, like, oh, I want to get out of this, or oh, I'm, I'm pregnant. Like, there's some healthy fear in her now because there are consequences in her time and place for a woman like Mary to say that she's pregnant. There's consequences that would fill her with fear, anxiety. What is she going to tell her mother? Would you believe your daughter if she came to you and said, oh, this baby bump is from God? No, no, nobody believes a story like that. What's she going to tell Joseph? What are other people going to think? Confusion. Confusion's in the story. She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? How can this happen? There's confusion in Mary. I don't understand how what you're saying could possibly be true. I am confused. So then the angel says, oh, I can explain it for you. That's fine. Like, let me clear up your confusion. Here's what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Okay. Right? Mary's a teenager, probably. And I like to imagine a, a, a little attitude in Mary a little eye roll, a little like, oh, that helps a lot. Now I know that the Most High will overshadow me. That's how I'll conceive God's child and give birth to the Savior of the world. Okay, there's confusion, right? Like Mary still doesn't understand what it is that she's been asked to do. She doesn't understand, she doesn't have all of her questions answered. There is still confusion. There is certainly some anxiety, certainly some fear when you look at Mary's story. And so you say, like, why are we saying that she has joy when it seems like she has the story of fear, anxiety, and confusion? We know she has joy because if you jump down in the story to verse 47, so in between she goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth, learns of her child, and then Mary writes a song or sings a song. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. That's how we know that in the spite of whatever fear, anxiety, and confusion Mary lived with, she was still able to have joy because she says, my spirit rejoices. And that word, if you look it up in the language it was written in, in this Greek language, it means to have ex- be exceedingly glad. She's saying, I am exceedingly glad. You can also translate that word to write, uh, it has been translated to jump for joy, to have exceeding joy. So she's saying, I am jumping for joy because of God my Savior. And you say, well, I mean, you have every reason for fear, anxiety, and confusion, and yet you're saying that you have joy. How do you have joy, Mary? What brought joy to Mary? 
And I think the answer to that was up in verse 38. It's just this attitude of faith that Mary has. She responds to that angel and says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. I think quite simply, Mary has joy because she trusts in the word of the Lord. She trusts in the word of God. God's word is delivered to her. She hears that word and she trusts in it. She doesn't understand it fully, but she chooses to have this attitude of faith that if that's God's word, I will trust it. Her cousin Elizabeth summarizes it in verse 45 and says, Blessed is she, Mary, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So how did Mary have joy? Mary had joy by trusting in the word of God, by belief in the word of God. She could have found some joy from a walk in nature, and she could have found joy from giving to someone in need, and she could have found joy by buying another houseplant. But Mary found joy by trusting in the word of God. She has exceeding joy, as she says in her song in Luke 1, and it comes from her faith in the word of God. Faith that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So as we take this truth, we ask ourselves the question then, do I want joy this Christmas? Do you want joy this Christmas? And maybe you're like Mary. Maybe your life situation is one which provokes fear or anxiety. Or maybe your life situation provokes confusion. Well, I think this Christmas season we can, we can admit that, that either for us or for people around us in our network of relationships, these are real feelings. We remember a loved one who's passed away. We, re, we grieve, we, or, we, or we see the credit card statement and we grieve. Um, we see the shopping list and the to-do list. It can be a season of loneliness, discontent. It can be a season of anxiety and frustration. But it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be marked by those things because Mary's story isn't marked by those things. Mary's story is marked by joy because she believed in God's word, that she believed that what God's word says is true. And even if she can't fully understand it, she was going to trust in it. Even if she had moments of doubt, even if she had moments of anxiety, she was going to return to this deep and abiding faith that she had that if God's word says it, it's true and it will come to pass. And that's how she had joy. There's a couple in our church that is certainly having a difficult Christmas. Their names are Juan and Bruni. We've been praying for Juan for over a year now. He's been battling cancer. And he's probably in the latter days of his life. I was with him this week. As I was with him, we, he affirmed his faith in Christ. We prayed together. He thanked me for the church and all their support over the years. I thanked him for serving our church. As you leave here today and you go into the foyers and you look at the walls, Juan painted those walls. He painted other walls in our church. He was a skilled craftsman. He served uh, some of us in the church. My home bears the marks of Juan and his workmanship. So I told him, you, you've, you've served the Lord well. You've used your giftedness. You've loved Bruni well and provided for her. If anyone has an excuse this Christmas season to feel fearful 
or anxious or confused, I think you would be one. Don't, conf- don't confuse the situation. I'm not implying for a second that Juan is happy. I'm not implying that he's happy about his life circumstances. I'm telling you explicitly that he's sorrowful, and yet the Apostle Paul said that we can be filled with sorrow, yet rejoice. And so Bruni texted me this this week. She said, hi, Pastor Matt. Juan wants you to tell the brothers and sisters at church that he has been blessed to be a member of the church, that thanks for all the prayers and support, he feels at peace, waiting on the Lord to come and take him home. He appreciates all you have done for us, and he sends his love. God bless you. So the point we're trying to make here is Mary had joy because she believed in God's word. Juan has joy because he believes in God's word, because he believes that God will fulfill the word that he has promised to us. And so he believes God said that if I trust in him as my Savior and Lord, then when I pass from this world into the next, I will pass into heaven. And so I can have some kind of deep and abiding joy, even in the midst of sorrow, because I trust that God's word is true and it will be fulfilled in my life. And that's the kind of joy we can have this Christmas too, if we will trust in God's word. Jesus is born a baby at Christmas and he grows up and he says these words in John chapter 15. He says, as my father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. If you want to be full of joy, Jesus says, here's how you get full of joy. Full and overflowing with joy, trust in my word and obey it. And you will abide in my love and you will be overflowing with joy. If you choose not to trust in my word and not to obey my word, you can still have joy in this world because you'll still see the beautiful snow, you'll still connect with people over Christmas, and you'll still have a measure of joy. But if you want deep and abiding joy, if you want overflowing joy, exceedingly great joy, your joy thermometer to be full, Jesus says, obey my words. Trust that it is the best path that you can live your life on, and if you'll do that, you'll be full of joy. So I pray that you can do that this Christmas season, that you can have the heart of Mary and say, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. So that's the joy of Mary. Let's look at the joy of the wise men. The wise men are are wonderful characters. Their story is told in Matthew chapter 2. So Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 8, let's remind ourselves of the story of the wise men. So starting in verse, chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star, it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall become a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. 
We'll stop the story there. The wise men are interesting figures. They're a bit mysterious. We know they came from the east, but we don't know where in the east they came from. We don't know when they arrived, and so we put our nativities together, and we're not quite sure how to pull close to put the wise men to the baby Jesus, right? So you got some people, they put them right there, right next to Jesus, and then you have those friends that come over and are like, well, the wise men weren't there with the baby. And you're like, oh, thanks for coming over today and receiving my hospitality, critiquing my nativity. So we can move the wise men across the room from the dining room to the living room so that they're like a far ways away. Um, we don't know when they came. We honestly don't know how many of them there were. All we know from scripture is that there were three gifts that were given, and so we assume that there were three wise men who came and gave gifts to Jesus at his birth. Where they came from, how long it took them to travel, when they arrived, how many of them there are, we don't know. But we know that they saw a star, and they followed that star to come and find their king, Jesus. But even that, like, what does that mean? How do you follow a star? How do you follow a star from the east and end up at the cradle here to see Jesus? How do you do that? It has to be a frustrating journey. There has to be some confusion along the way. And I think it's interesting, if you read closely and you try to think what's going on in this story... The star is not consistent in the story. So they saw the star, and then the next verse where I dropped off was verse 8. When you read verse 9, they're in Jerusalem. And it says, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And then the next word is, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the baby was. Now, that's interesting to me, because what that tells me is, they traveled, they saw a star, and they loaded up, and they headed out. They end up in Jerusalem. And they're like, where's the baby? If you're reading closely, you're thinking to yourself, if you're following the star and it leads you to Jesus, why are you in Jerusalem asking about the baby? The baby's in Bethlehem. So the star isn't consistent, right? They show up in Jerusalem, and they're like, we're here. And they, what the word they get from Herod is, well, that's a dead end. So the wise men circle up at the hotel, and they're like, what are we going to do? It's a dead end. We've been at this for years now. We've been traveling, trying to follow the star. Do we quit? Do we give up? Do we turn back? What are we doing? And here we are in Jerusalem, another dead end. Now Herod comes and gets them, and he says, listen, it's going to be Bethlehem. We, we search the ancient scrolls. Bethlehem's where you need to go. So they, they load up. They head out to Bethlehem. There's no star. In verse 9, they go on their way, and then, behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And then they gave him their presents of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What I find interesting about this story is there must have been a frustrating and a confusing journey for the, for the wise men. But how did they have joy? Where does the exceeding joy come from? It comes from the moment when they have persevered through the confusion, through the dead ends, and they have finally arrived at Jesus. They have found Jesus after all their perseverance and seeking after him. So I think, how do the wise men have joy? They have joy by finding Jesus. How are you going to have joy this Christmas season? How can you have joy finding Jesus? Find him, seek him out and find him. Amidst all of the shoppings and the activities and the parties, find Jesus. 
Sometimes he can be hard to find amidst the, the presents and the reindeer and the snowman and all the magical things of Christmas. We can kind of lose Jesus in the midst of him. And so if you want to have joy this Christmas, find Jesus. Find him amidst your feelings of loneliness or depression. Try to find Jesus. The psalmist says in Psalm 51, 12, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And so may you find Jesus this Christmas season and be reminded of the joy of your salvation. Perhaps not necessarily happiness about your current circumstances, but a deep sense of joy as you remember that God keeps his promises. He sent Jesus to save us from our sins, and Jesus is coming back to restore all things. And so I can have joy this Christmas as I seek that truth, as I seek that truth that Jesus is here, that this holiday is about Jesus, and if I will seek him and I will find him and I will trust in him, I can have joy this Christmas. I can't help but think, but in a room of this size, the amount of people here, those who are watching online, there must be some of us who are still seeking Jesus and we haven't quite yet found him. So maybe you came here today or maybe you got to this point in the service online and you're on a journey. You're asking questions. You are searching. You are seeking. If that describes you, if you came here today and you're trying to make sense of your life, you're trying to find something to take the pain away, you're trying to find something that will give you hope, something that will give you joy, and so you came here today and you're listening, then I think you came to the right place. Jesus describes himself in Revelation twenty two sixteen as the bright morning star. So I think you've got to keep following the star. You've got to keep pursuing Jesus because the scripture says that, that there's darkness in our hearts in this world, but Jesus came to light up the darkness. And so if you are following after him, after that bright morning star, I would just say keep taking steps towards him. Persevere. It can be confusing, and you're going to hit some dead ends, but keep persevering, keep seeking him, keep following that light because Jesus is going to grow up, and he's going to start teaching, and he's going to say this in Matthew 7, 7, seek and you will find. The wise men came from the east and they had every reason to be confused and frustrated and discouraged as they tried their best to follow a star in the sky. But they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy once they found Jesus. If you want joy this Christmas, be persistent in your search for Jesus. And you too can experience exceedingly great joy. There's a great author and pastor named Lee Strobel. Before he was an author and a pastor, he was an atheist. And he was a journalist for the Chicago Tribune. He was specifically the legal editor for the Chicago Tribune. And his reputation amongst his coworkers and colleagues was one of a skeptic. He was married to a woman, and she was more agnostic, but she found Jesus. So Lee is watching his wife change right in front of his eyes, and he's beginning to think to himself, these are really positive changes. Maybe I'll pursue whatever it is she's pursuing. So he begins a journey that takes him one year and nine months. Lee Strubble's a pretty wise man, and his journey took him a year and nine months. He set out to study world religions. He set out to study the, specifically the claims of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, 
And after all that long journey and then dead ends and frustrations and confusions, finally, uh, of the, over almost two years of seeking Jesus, here's him in his own words. He says, to be an atheist, I would have to swim upstream against this torrent of evidence pointing towards the truth of Jesus Christ. And I couldn't do that. I was trained in journalism and law to respond to the truth. So Lee Strobel was a wise man and he journeyed for nearly two years and eventually he found Jesus. He was diligent in his search and once he found Jesus, he was filled with joy. His account is recorded in his book, The Case for Christ. It's a movie as well by the same name if you aren't a reader, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. I like to imagine the wise men traveling home from Bethlehem back to the east. They're sitting around the campfire. Now, these are really wise people, right? So they're sitting around the campfire, and they begin to have a conversation, and they say, you know what I was thinking? All those years we were following the star, and we were seeking Jesus. I can't help but think that maybe he was seeking us because he put the star in the sky. He put the star in the sky and then to get our attention so that we would see the star and follow the path of the star and come and find Jesus. So who was seeking who over these last few years of our life? Were we seeking Jesus or did Jesus put a star in the sky because he was seeking after us and he wanted our hearts and our worship? He sent an angel to capture the attention of the shepherds. He sent a star to capture the attention of the wise men. He gave scientific and historical evidence to Lee Strobel as he sought his heart. So the question is, how is God seeking you? Because God, I believe God is seeking you. Why do I believe that? Because Jesus says in his own words, I came to seek and to save the lost. So if you feel like God is seeking after you, if you feel like you're sensing a little bit of light, and if you are taking steps towards Jesus, I say keep going. Because there is exceedingly great joy once you find him. There is exceedingly great joy once he finds you. But we serve a God who is actively seeking after you because he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. And that is the good news of great joy. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus. And Lord, I want to pray for anyone who's in the room today or, or online who is seeking, but they're just not quite there yet. Heavenly Father, I, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in their hearts. I pray that they would admit their sin, believe that you died on the cross and rose from the dead to forgive them of their sins. I pray that they might commit to follow after you. Oh, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will be working on hearts even right now, that they might appreciate that there is nothing they can do to earn your love, but that you freely give your love and you're just waiting on them to receive it in faith. So I pray, Lord, for each of us that we might experience your joy this Christmas as we seek you and find you, as we trust in your word, May that bring us a deep and abiding joy this Christmas season. Lord, help our hearts to break for those whose hearts are breaking around us. May we be people of empathy this Christmas. But also, Lord, we can be sorrowful and yet rejoicing 
as we trust in you. May that be true of each of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.